Good morning, Renewal. Welcome to another weekend of our stay-at-home Sunday morning podcast. This weekend's message is going to kind of jump back to uh, some content that we covered in previous podcasts, but uh, I really felt uh, through studying and preparing for the Sunday morning message that God just spoke some other things to me about this whole idea of idolatry and God's heart to see his people saved from their idolatry. And so, um, I thought I would revisit that in the podcast as well, just so we can catch everything back up on Sunday mornings to where we are online, uh, so that we can move together as one big happy family, whether that's digital or in person. So uh, we're going to be looking at the story of Gideon out of Judges chapter 6, um, and especially this part, uh, this first assignment that God gives to Gideon before he can be raised up as the deliverer of Israel. God, if you recall, as we covered in previous weeks, God calls him to tear down the community's idols. And so, um, as we've talked about, God meets this person, Gideon, and kind of out in the middle of nowhere. He's uh, threshing his grain in the wine press. He's hiding, and God says to him, you're a mighty warrior. I'm raising you up to deliver the people through your hand. And then in chapter 6, verse 25, Uh, The author writes that on that same night, so on the day that God called Gideon, on that same night, the Lord says to him, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one that's seven years old, and tear down your father's altar to Baal, and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on top of this height, and using the wood of the Asherah pole that you've cut down, offer the second bull as a burnt offering. So here Israel is, oppressed by the Midianites. They've cried out to God for help. God is raising up a deliverer for them. God is too faithful to his people to just simply leave them there in the, in the mess. But, uh, but as he comes to meet them, uh, he needs to deal with something before he can move them into freedom. And that something is this idol worship. And so before God uses Gideon to lead the people out from oppression, he uses Gideon to take an active role in combating this idol worship that has been going on in his family's village, uh, into turning away or repenting of idol worship. So before the deliverance of God's people from the Midianites, he needs to deliver them from the idols that they're worshiping. And this is really step one. This is really God's first priority. His first priority isn't to deliver the people from the Midianites, but his first priority is to deliver Gideon and his village from the idols. I think in some ways this story tells us that God's first priority too is not simply just to deliver Israel as a nation, but he's looking at Israel as people like Gideon, and he is committed to uh, delivering Gideon from his own idol worship. You know, the observation occurred to me this week while I was studying all of this that Uh, So often in Scripture, certainly in the Old Testament, God's chief concern for his people is that they would not turn to idols. story of Israel that that begins maybe with the uh, slavery in Egypt and goes on through the last of the prophets in the Old Testament, I think in many ways that story can be summarized with God's people would turn away from him and worship idols, and then God would turn them over to the evil of their ways. God's people would return to him, and God would bless them, restore them, and care for them as a father does for his children. And so often when the prophets would confront God's people in their sin, more often than not, the chief confrontation revolved around, you guys are worshiping idols. 
And so in many ways, I think it's safe to say that God's chief concern is for, uh, is for his people to not fall into idol worship. Um, and yet, so often, we see in Scripture and the story of history, God's people don't always share his chief concern. Certainly not in the Old Testament. I mean, rather than shunning idol worship as God would have them, the people of God seem to continually be enamored by idol worship, want to worship these idols that their neighbors are worshiping. They seem drawn to it. And I think even in the early church, when we look at what people, uh, the apostles or, or early fathers of the faith were contending for, it would seem that their chief concerns were not necessarily idols, but they, they, they moved to their chief concerns being more along the lines of morality. Uh, you know, Jewish Christians in the book of Acts seem so concerned about the Gentile Christians following all of their laws, and and they're looking to make converts uh, into Christianity who will toe the moral lines that are spelled out in the Jewish Torah. And this resulted in all kinds of controversy in the early church, so much so that even some of the apostles found themselves at odds with each other on these issues. And yet I think even through all that, God remains greatly concerned about his people uh, chasing after idols or beginning to worship idols. The Apostle John, in, in the closing statement for one of his letters to the church, uh, the, the epistle of 1 John, uh, he writes as the last line of his letter in John, 1 John chapter 5, verse 21, he writes these words. He says, Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. And so here's one of the apostles writing later in his life. Uh, tradition teaches us that John was young, very young, when he was initially called as a disciple of Jesus, and then he outlived uh, all of the other apostles uh, because he was younger and be because he uh, survived getting martyred a, a time or two. But anyhow, he's writing here later in his life and sees, I I'm sure, sees himself as a father figure in the church. And he says to them, dear children, I want you to keep yourselves from idols. And even in that, you'll see a language of keep yourselves. I think the reality that we face is that every day we have a choice to worship our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, uh, to serve him only, or to begin to bow to the other idols, the other things that are around us in society. And any time that we are uh, setting up our priorities— saying that other things are more important than what God highlights as the top priority, we're, we're probably going to experience conflict and confusion in our walk with him. And I think that trend continues today. You know, we talked about how God's, uh, one of God's chief concerns is his people staying away from idols. Uh, that is not something that I think we teach on or we talk on a lot at the church. Certainly from an outsider's perspective, it could be argued that the modern church in the Western world is far more concerned with converting people to their moral codes rather than abandoning whatever idols they may be worshiping. And I think part of the reason for that is that tearing down idols can be uh, dangerous work because those who worship idols are usually really committed to them. You know, here's Gideon, a member of the Lord's people, living in a tribe of the Lord's people in the midst of his own tribal village of the Lord's people. And in the midst of that village, there are altars to Baal and Asherah. And you're thinking, what? How can these things be here in the midst of all this? But I guarantee you, the people living in that village were attached to those altars. And, and maybe they even saw it as somehow connected to the worship of, of Yahweh. And, and God is like, hey, before we go a single step closer to your deliverance from the Midianites, we have got to address these idols. 
The Midianites are not your primary problem. These idols are. And so Gideon, verse 27, takes 10 of his servants and he does as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the townspeople, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. Gideon obeys the Lord, but he obeys the Lord in secret. Why? Well, because the people in his town are really attached to his idols and he's afraid of what they might do in their anger at him for tearing them down. Verse 28 says, when the people got in the town woke up the next day, there was Baal's altar demolished with the Asherah pole beside it, cut down, and the second bull sacrificed on the newly built altar. Verse 29, so they asked each other, well, who did this? And they're not asking who did it so that they can throw the person a party. No, when they carefully investigate, they figure out that it was Gideon. The people of the town demand to Gideon's father, Joash, they say, bring out your son. He must die because he's broken down Baal's altar. He's cut down the Asherah pole beside it. And you're thinking, geez, that escalated quickly, right? A couple of town altars are torn down and we're running around town with pitchforks and torches crying out for the death penalty. And I think this is an accurate picture of what happens to people whose idols have been assaulted. Even when they've been assaulted by righteous servants of the Lord, people lose their minds. This Gideon has insulted our gods. He doesn't want to live by our religious code. He deserves to die. All the more, I think, Christian communities can be susceptible to these kinds of responses when people assault our idols because there's a blending of, in, in this particular example with Gideon and his town, we see a blending of the cultural convictions of the Canaanites, that these idols are worth something, with the religious training of the Jews, that when we, uh, certain disobediences or dishonorings of God deserve the death penalty, deserve the spilling of blood. If you're familiar with the story of Israel, you might know about the golden calf story where shortly after God delivers the nation from slavery, shortly after he leads them through the Red Sea on dry land, they come to the other side of the sea, they're meeting at the mountain of God, Moses goes up onto the mountain, and he doesn't come back for 40 days. And while their leader is gone, the people of Israel are calling out to Aaron, the next up leader, and saying, hey, we need you to build us an idol to worship. We, we don't know where, what's happened to Moses. We need to worship a golden calf. We need something tangible before us to represent God that we can worship. So Aaron builds a, an idol, and, and around the time the idol gets finished and the people are worshiping that idol and engaged in all kinds of revelry, Moses comes back down to the camp with Joshua and is like, what the heck is happening down here? And so he ends up ordering the Israelites to, uh, to go throughout the camp and kill anyone who is engaged in this idol worship and this revelry. And so the tribe of Levi goes out into the camp and begins to kill those who are engaged in idol worship. And this ends up being the, the behavior that gains the tribe of Levi the, the promotion to being the priesthood among the people. Their violent condemnation of, vital worship, of idol worship becomes their, the, the rationale for their big promotion to be the priesthood. And so it's ironic that then all these generations later, the people in Gideon's village want to kill him for tearing down the idols. You know, in their religious fervor and their historical traditions, they become so blended in with this worship of idols that they would kill someone for trying to undo the very things that would have made them uh, worthy of death, according to, um, according to, uh, Moses' law and the way that things were run under Moses when, uh, when he was in charge. Well, 
thankfully, Gideon's father intervenes and, and uh, makes the case that, hey, if Baal is a god, he can defend himself. You don't, you don't need to kill him. And I know I already talked about that part of the story on the podcast. And so I, I think here's the point where I just want to turn and answer the obvious question that would come up in all of this. Well, what are the idols that we could fall into worshiping today? This is where things get a little bit tricky because we can probably agree on some things. One, that before deliverance must come repentance. We can't continue to worship the idols around us and expect God to deliver us. So we can't fold our hands in prayer to God, expecting him to immediately answer all of our prayers. When the second we unfold our hands, we put them right back into the vigorous service of of our own idols. We can probably all agree with those statements, but but when we begin to, to I try to identify what the idols might be in our society, things get a little bit tricky. One reason they get tricky is because we don't personify the idols the way that ancient people do. You know, uh, in ancient days, these idols were always tended to certain needs that people had. If they needed a good harvest, if they needed uh, provision, they turned to the idol Baal, the god Baal, who was a personification of someone who could fulfill those needs. If they had a desire to have fertility and sexual love and, and children, they would turn to personified deities like this Astra. But we don't personify things in that way. And so it becomes less about the personified idols and more about our relationship to those needs that those idols represented. Um, so in these days, it, it, worshiping uh, Baal might not be so much about having a statue of Baal in your driveway as it is about uh, your desire and your felt connection to the need for, uh, for, for food, for clothing, for uh, the things you need to live, when that connection becomes more important to you uh, than your relationship with God, than your trust for God. And when you, can, when you begin to put your trust in other things to fill that need rather than Yahweh, or as he was called by the Hebrews, Jehovah Jireh, the provider, uh, then I think we are falling into a form of idol worship. And so, uh, similar to Gideon, uh, I'm not going to stand here. Gideon refused to tear down the idols in broad daylight. Like, I'm not going to sit here and and start pulling down idols. Uh, but I want to encourage you in a, in a couple of ways. That one, you would let the Holy Spirit speak to you about your own life, about your own values. Uh, one, I believe the Holy Spirit's voice is much stronger than mine. Two, I would much rather set you up in a situation where you can argue with God. You don't have to argue with me about it. And I want to encourage you to examine your life, to invite the Holy Spirit, to search your heart. You know, say, Lord, is there anything in my life that is curbing my hunger for you? Is there anything that is tugging on my soul with promises of satisfaction and wholeness, uh, knowing that God is the only one who can truly deliver on those kinds of things. I want to encourage you that you would just, you would take time this week to listen to the Holy Spirit, to have a conversation with God. And I, I would wager that among those of us who are, are listening or tuning in, there's probably plenty of us who just need to do more of that in general, taking time to be with the Lord, sit in his presence, and considering with him, Lord, is there anything I'm longing for more than you? Is there anything I'm putting my hope in more than you? Is there any area of my life where I am falling into the danger of idol worship? And if so, Lord, what would you have me do? Uh, these are the kinds of solutions that 
maybe some of you come to church or listen to a podcast hoping for three steps to get out of idol worship, but I think more important than that is that you would be walking hand in hand with the Holy Spirit every step of the way. Uh, more important than which idols you might be tearing down in society around you are who it is that's directing you to do that tearing down. And so uh, my prayer as we close up today is that each of us would be able to hear the Holy Spirit say the things that we need to hear, and that none of us would be so attached to our form of living or our value systems that we could not hear the Holy Spirit say hard things. And so let's just close with a word of prayer together. Holy Spirit, we just thank you that you are present and with us. Uh, We believe the words that were recorded uh, of Christ in Scripture when he said that he was sending his Spirit to be with us and in us. And we thank you that you are a good teacher, Holy Spirit, and that you can speak to us like no one else can. We just want to open up our hearts and our minds to you right now, and we want to invite you to speak the words from heaven that we need to hear. And as we would go about our lives in the coming week, as we would interact with society around us, as as we would be uh, living to, uh, to honor you, but also living in the needs that we just naturally have as human beings, Uh, We pray that you would really help us to turn to you in every single one of those areas of need and just to trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.